Welcome to this week's edition of Holy Apostles Weekly Sermons. Nathaniel, 
And based on this one meeting he's had with Jesus, he says to him, Come, we have found him of whom Moses and all of the prophets wrote. And his name is Jesus. He's from Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel responds with it, which actually, with what is actually a scriptural question. It's not a, it's not a, a, it's not a confrontation or an argument. Because the scriptures say that the Messiah would come out of Bethlehem. And so Nathaniel, who was sitting under the fig tree, which is the traditional uh, place for the sitting and studying the scriptures, so the implication is that Philip was himself studying the scriptures, asks, uh, a, we could say, a rabbinical, a rabbinical question, a question of interpretation, right? Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? That is, we know the Messiah comes from Bethlehem. How is it that he comes from Nazareth? And Philip's response <clears throat> is not necessarily what we would call a highly developed theological response. <laughs> he simply says to him, come and see. In other words, Philip is convinced simply by coming into the presence of Jesus Christ. In that contact that Philip has with Jesus, he becomes entirely convinced that Jesus is indeed the foretold Messiah. And whenever he goes to find Nathanael and tell him about it, Nathanael asks the question, well, how can that be? Because the Messiah comes out of Bethlehem, everybody knows. Then Philip's response is, come and see. That is, I don't have a, I don't have a profound answer to give you, but if you meet him, then you will also understand Something about this contact, something about gazing into the face of Jesus Christ is what persuades Philip, and it is for him the experience of coming into the presence of God. Now we celebrate today in the Orthodox Christian Church what's called the Sunday of Orthodoxy, or perhaps more properly, the Triumph of Orthodoxy. And there's a very, there's a historical reason for why we celebrate this and what we're celebrating, right? We have everybody brought their icons to the church today and they put them in the church. And it is literally the celebration of the restoration of icons to the churches. It's based on a historical event which happened in 843 uh, after a period of, well, more or less 100 years, give or take, of imperial persecution based on poor interpretations of scriptures and the failure to distinguish in the scriptures between idols and images, the imperial authorities had persecuted icons. And that sounds kind of funny to say it that way, but what I mean by that is that they had, for, for a period of about a hundred years, been involved in a vast project to strip icons out of churches, to burn them, to destroy them, and also, also to do away with those who said otherwise. I mean, this is, some, this is a time period in the life of the church in which we have martyrs who refuse to hand their icons over to be burned or chopped up with axes. And so in return for their standing steadfast for the, for the role of icons in Christian worship, they were themselves chopped to pieces with axes. And uh, in 843, after a long period of time, the Empress Theodora mandated that icons be restored into the churches 
and that they be hung up in their proper places and that they be used in worship according to the teachings and the definitions of the church fathers. And that was a tremendous event which was celebrated on the first Sunday of Great Lent in 843. Now, I don't have time to say everything I want to say today, really. I mean, I could go on for a while. But iconography is very important in the church because we use the word too technically sometimes. We become too technical with the word icon. And we think, you know, if we're not thinking about something on a computer screen, we're thinking about one of these very peculiar pictures that's always hung up in church or maybe on the wall of our house. But the word icon means an image. It means an image. Incidentally, sorry, this is an aside, but you know that icon of Jesus from Mount Sinai? Most of you have seen this before. It's kind of like his face looks different on one side than the other side. And one side represents the, the stern judgment of God and the other is the mercy and compassion of God. The reason that's so famous is because it was on Mount Sinai during this time period. We have very few icons which exist from before the 8th century because they were all chopped up and burned. This one was preserved because it was on in the monastery of St. Catherine on Mount Sinai and it was far away from all the imperial turmoil and therefore it was actually preserved deep in the heart of the of the Muslim caliphate actually. That's kind of peculiar, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> but it was preserved in that way. So this is the event that's referred to as the triumph of orthodoxy, right? The triumph of orthodoxy. What's the triumph? What is orthodoxy triumphing over? Orthodox Christianity, what is the triumph? We could say, well, it's the triumph over heretical teaching. Okay, that's fine. But I don't think that goes deeply enough into it. We're, like I said, this is a historical event in the life of the church. But we have other historical events on our calendar that we do not celebrate with a great feast day. They don't get their own Sundays in Lent. Uh, just off the top of my head, at one point there was an earthquake in Constantinople about 1,500 years ago. And there were some miraculous events connected with that. And it shows up on the calendar every year, but we don't celebrate it as a feast day. Uh, there was the, the consecration of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, mm -hmm. where the Lord rose from the dead. Mm -hmm. That's on the calendar, but we don't celebrate that as a major feast day. It doesn't get its own Sunday during Lent. What is it about this one, this historical event, what is it about it that determines that we must have an annual commemoration on a prominent day in the middle of the fast, to commemorate it. And if we want to understand that, I think we need to come to a point of understanding that this, for lack of a better word, drama, of the restoration of the icons, is an ongoing event in the life of the church. Remember I said icon means image. Icon means image. And we're accustomed to saying in Orthodox churches that they're, they're full of icons, right? Yes, they are. They're full of images. They're not, not just images that men have made. They're full of images that God has made. What do we know about God? We know that He's the first icon maker. He's the first iconographer. Let us make man in our image. In the Greek that reads katikona, according to our icon. That is, man is the icon of God. You and me are the icons of God. God Himself has made it this way. That we are representations of Him in the world. 
And when I say that the restoration of icons is an ongoing drama in the life of the church, what I mean is this. That you and I bear the image of God. And yet, frequently, we do not live up to that. Frequently, we fail to be a good image. In other words, just like the iconoclasts, that is those who destroy the icons of old, we are engaged in a project to defile the icon of God. Is that not what sin is? Sin is the defilement of the icon of God. Us. Us. When we engage in sin, when we willingly set aside the commandments of God, and we undertake things which are opposed to Him, we are destroying, defiling, obliterating, erasing the icon that God Himself has made. Which is a far worse activity than pulling one of these off the wall and chopping it up with an axe and throwing it in the fire. Most of you would be scandalized, horrified, to the point of physical illness or violence if someone came in here and pulled the icons down and started chopping them up with axes and throwing them into a fire. We would probably assault the person doing that if we weren't just too shattered and shaken and in tears over the event. But this is precisely what we do whenever we commit sin. We do violence to the icon of God that is within us. And that's why this feast day has to happen on a Sunday in Great Lent. It's not just because of the historical event. Lots of things happened in history. But it's because Great Lent is the time for us to realize this fact. So that we can engage, so that we can cooperate with God, the great iconographer, and restoring the image. And if you think I'm making this up, actually, it's one of the more profound examples that St. Athanasius the Great uses when he talks about the Incarnation in that lovely little book he wrote 1,700 years ago called On the Incarnation. He talks about this. When an artist sees that his work of art has been defiled and, and damaged and is no longer a clear representation of what he wanted to make, what does he do? He comes back in and he redraws the lines. And he reapplies the colors. And he cleans the surface. To the point that it once again becomes an accurate representation of what he wants it to, to reveal. And he says, this is precisely what God undertakes when he takes on human flesh and lives among us. The incarnation, that is God taking on human flesh, is the restoration of that image. And now is the time for you and for me to cooperate with God in the restoration of that image within us. To set aside our own personal project of iconoclasm, to put aside our own personal destruction and defilement of the icon in us. And to realize that we are called to something greater. To realize that we are children of the Father. And that we bear His image. And we can do nothing else because He has made us this way. And therefore we should apply ourselves, struggle, strive 
to set aside all the passions which St. Paul says so easily beset us to put them away from us far, far away and to undertake as much as is within our strength with the help of God the restoration the restoring of the, the icon, the image of God within us it is only by doing this for the next six weeks that we will worthily celebrate the Pascha, the Passion, the Death, and the glorious Resurrection of our Lord and God and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be all glory, honor, and worship together with His Father and the Holy Spirit unto ages of ages. Amen. Amen. Christ is in our midst. Yes.